The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. Monday through Thursday, we're, we grow all the food and we harvest it Monday through Thursday. And then on Friday, we compost all of what we harvested all week long. And so that that's a common theme I've seen is, is the idea that if you grow it, they will come is not a reality. Unfortunately, you need to sell your food and then grow it and set up your distribution network. So if I had any like really just one piece of advice for anyone looking to get into this is know your market, know where your food's going, because we're working with a perishable. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 2, welcome back. If this is your first time listening, you are in the right place as this is the show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran. In case you missed last week's show, I had a great conversation with Season 2 sponsor, Series Greenhouse Solutions founder Mark Plinky, a really inspiring interview and conversation with Mark that's generating a lot of great feedback. Mark is the consummate inventor and passionate about all things supporting this industry, and it was really fun to hear his enthusiasm come through on that interview. So make sure you check that out. Special thanks to our episode sponsor, Series Greenhouse Solutions. If you're looking for a greenhouse solution that will suit your specific climate and growing goals, then talk to an expert from Series Greenhouse Solutions. Series combines passive solar concepts, innovative climate control technologies, and customized grow systems to ensure that their growers are yielding the highest quality product year-round for the lowest operational cost. Visit SeriesGreenhouseSolutions.com, that's spelled C-E-R-E-S, GreenhouseSolutions.com to learn more. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kyle Barnett. He's the founder of Ponic Jobs and a co-host on the Crop Talk podcast. He's also serving as an account manager in the horticulture division at Westrock, focusing on helping growers create superior packaging labels and merchandising solutions, which is something that's top of mind for me anytime I have these conversations. In this episode, we discuss the varying facets of ponics from deep water culture and NFTs to vertical farming and aquaponics. We talk about the vital role distribution plays in the ag tech industry and what inspired Kyle to create the Ponic Jobs well site, as well as his collaboration with Crop Talk Media. His podcast segment, Kyle Talks Ag Tech, focuses on CEA, vertical farms, greenhouse technology, and other industry leaders. 
As a reminder, if you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Let's get into this conversation with Kyle. So Kyle Barnett, co-host of the Crop Talk podcast, specifically the Kyle Talks Ag Tech feature, founder of PonicJobs.com, and also part of the West Rock team. Thank you so much for joining us on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Harry, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's a challenge to, to just put you into one role <laughs> with these intros. And I think that's what's, what's going to make this conversation so much more interesting because all the different ways that you're interacting with the world of uh, vertical farming, ag tech. And so it'll be a, a pretty wide ranging discussion. So I'm excited and don't know where it's going to end up, but I think it's going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my background is eclectic within the industry. And that has really been my goal is to just get as much experience in all the different dimensions of controlled ag as possible. So it's it's been quite the fun and exciting journey it really has. So can you talk a little bit about your personal journey? And, and we'll deep dive on, onto each of these as they come up. But when you know, if you could think back and trace back your interest in you know controlled ag, where, where did that stem from? Sure. So I've always had an interest in food, especially, and I went to the Culinary Institute of America, mm. and I was on this journey to become a chef. And, you know, when I really started seeing that I wanted to look more into farming, it was my senior year. And, you know, I, I just started seeing how a lot of my influence to why I was cooking had to do with the farming and the growing of the crops. And, uh, you know, I did a final project where you know, I kind of recreated a garden with a dish and then we were choosing our final trip for the year. You get to go on this great trip to explore food with the culinary. You can go to Spain, you can go to France, you can go to Italy, and then you can go to California. And let me tell you, nobody wanted to go to California compared to these global trips, but it was my first pick. And it was because that was a very farming, agriculture, horticulture themed trip. And, uh, you know, it was more of the uh, farm to table aspects. And so, you know, when I went out there for three weeks, it really was kind of as I graduate to become a chef, this epiphany of, oh, man, well, this is where my heart it is, is growing the food. It's so fascinating. So, you know, it couldn't be an easy transition. I, I cooked for a while, was a sous chef, landed a fantastic job as a personal chef for a man named Dan Collin, who was a modern artist in New York City. And he had mm. this farm art studio where I cooked. And when you reach that fantastic point where you're like, this is it, this is an amazing job, and I'm still not satisfied, that's when I really knew I had to uh, go and explore what my calling seemingly was. So originally, I was I was all packed up to go and go to a berry farm, actually, <laughs> strawberry and blueberry farm. And I knew I wanted to go into controlled ag, especially because of the uh, the seasonality aspect of being able to have these great ingredients all throughout the year from a chef mindset was amazing. So I'm all packed up, ready to go on this apprenticeship. And someone I had been hassling and bothering a local aquaponics facility called me the week before I was supposed to leave to my apprenticeship and said, oh, we want to have you and we want to talk to you. And I decided to go down and I finally had this interview and they said, you can start cleaning the greenhouse for us and hosting at farmer's markets. And so I <laughs> canceled wow. the apprenticeship because I knew that's where my heart was. And I joined this aquaponics facility 
which unfortunately wasn't really well put together. And uh, it was my first learning exercise of, of really seeing how it can go wrong within the industry. So there was a lot of mistakes made and it didn't go too well. They went bankrupt. Mm. They had a lot of funding, but it didn't end up well. So from there, I moved to an outdoor organic farm for a few months. And uh, I had a friend from Continental Organics, this aquaponic place. I had a friend who joined Bright Farms, which was this oh, yeah. one yeah, one greenhouse at the time, just this up and coming grow facility. And I called him and said, Hey, you know, how can you get me in there? Can I and he said, Well, you know, I can get you a day to work here and we can see, you know, and he was, you know, labor force. And so I my girlfriend at the time, now wife, was going to college at Ryder University and I, I stayed with her for a uh a day and I worked a 12 hour shifts and they said, Hey, we love you, but we have no openings. I said, okay, call me if mm -hmm. anything comes up. And they called a week later and offered wow. me, you know, a apprenticeship sort of position, but it was really just a, a labor job. Yeah. And anyone that yeah. works in more of these commercial grow facilities knows it kind of labor is the key word. It's, it's a lot of hard work. And, uh, yeah, from there, I really tried to prove myself to the company. And, uh, you know, I started working on side projects of showcasing different ideas and things and ways we could improve and just really tried to go above and beyond for the team. And uh, yeah, and a key account manager position opened up as they started to expand to Washington, D.C., as they were building another greenhouse. So I, I took that position and yeah, I started in the, the corporate circle from there. And for two and a half years, I sold lettuce greens to grocery stores and different distribution channels and helped uh, perfect the system. And I love Bright Farm, still have a great relationship. And another opportunity came up uh, after, I would say, three years or so with Bright Farms for a company called Hort Americas. And they had a, they were looking to open up the Northeast to sales of substrates, fertilizers, LED lighting. Mm. And, uh, and I took the position and it was a very entrepreneurial open up this territory. And, uh, you know, it was great. It was a great experience. It really is where I gained a lot of perspective on all the different players in the field. I got to visit a whole ton of vertical farms. I've seen places you know, grow up, I've seen them crash and burn, I've helped solve their problems. And, you know, I was able to sell a lot of LED lighting to some of the bigger growers now and help develop their full system. So uh, great experience. And just in July, I joined Westrock as mm -hmm. uh, account management towards uh, horticulture and really trying to develop out sustainable packaging solutions for controlled ag or, you know, conventional growers. And uh, it, it's been great so far, really trying to uncover all these different packaging solutions we can find for, you know, let's say these big hunks of plastic that are used yeah. in produce. So when I left Hort Americas and I told all my connections where I was going, that's the number one thing they said. They said, you got to find us, <laughs> get rid of the plastic, get rid of the yeah. plastic. So during my time at Hort Americas as well, I, I joined Crop Talk. A good friend of mine, Charlie McKenzie, was starting Crop Talk Media, and he wanted to have a range of hosts, and I was the first host to come on. And my segment was uh, Kyle Talks Ag Tech, and it was, it, it's been great. I've, I've had over 35 episodes now, and it's really given me a lot of clarity into, you know, what the industry needs and some really great ideas. So, you know, as I said in the beginning, it's been an eclectic journey, but I am so grateful, 
so grateful for the whole process and everything that I've been able to, you know, learn from it and been able to assist the industry as well. That's a fantastic story and a long ways from uh, the Coloring Institute of America, <laughs> which is in upstate New York. I grew up in Yonkers. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so we're so basically we, neighbors. I was yeah. in, you know, LaGrangeville, Poughkeepsie area yeah. growing up. So and I went fun. to high school in uh, White Plains, uh, okay, yep, Catholic high yep. school there, uh, Archbishop Stepanak. I live in Minneapolis now. So, oh, wow. But I've uh, just been here for about a year and a half, but I've lived in New York and in LA and now I'm in the Midwest. So it's been interesting to see the, the differences in regions, but I did, it's a funny story about Culinary Institute of Newark. I had never been and I've always wanted to go. My parents love, you know, like going there and they've had lunch there. Oh, it's fun. And, it's and fun. the one time I was there visiting last year, they're like, let's go. And I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. We didn't bother to check if it was open. So we drove all the way there. I've made the same mistake and I've gone <laughs> to the school. I really have. I brought my wife. I'm like, hey, we're going to go and you know, yeah. Sundays are off limits and that's yeah. unheard of in the restaurant industry, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, I've been there before. It was closed. <laughs> yeah, so that's fun. So it's interesting, like what was it that driving you that kept changing and kept having you pursue like, you know, first, you know, with, with the work you were doing with Bright Farms and then Horde Americas and, and even like this idea to work in like a, a controlled agriculture environment. If you had to describe what that pull was about, you know, sure. what was attracting you to work in those types of jobs? Yeah, I think it was the chef at heart for two reasons, especially. One being that the seasonality was always this issue with, uh, you know, you, you get a tomato in, in yeah. December and mm -hmm. you want it to be local. It's no, it's going to be from Mexico. You're going to cut it. It's going to be mm -hmm. tasteless, white in the inside, no flavor. Yeah. So, you know, when I started at Continental Organics, they had a tomato house up there and the tomatoes were just out of this world in December. Amazing, you know, and, and really special flavor. And that's, you know, the seasonality aspect. But, you know, the second part of that was, you know, how special the flavors were, you know, not only of a tomato, but of all these microgreens and these different crops when you, you know, and it, it's yes, you can talk about it as controlled ag or just conventional farming. When you pull something out of the ground and immediately consume it, it's special. And so much of what we eat, we know like these basic flavors. But then when you start to try all these different microgreens and oh, man, this one tastes like wasabi and this one tastes like a sour patch kid. And this one tastes like a blend of Indian spices. It's it's so special. It's such an experience and that's what, you know, the foodie in me was always interested in was the experience and, you know, enabling these chefs and these past friends that I've had to be able to, you know, expand their, you know, metaphorical palette of colors and be able to express themselves with the, you know, the lemon balm basil and a new whole new dimension. It was really special. So that was pulled me into the space was, you know, seasonality first and flavor second. And then as you started to, so that was, the, that's really like the chef in you and then understanding the importance of flavor. And then you move into seeing, you know, the actual operations yeah. of these companies. And even the couple that you've mentioned that, you know, tried and failed. Once you were on the inside for people that don't have that opportunity to work in some of these companies, if you could place your finger on you know, from what you've seen, some of these places succeed or why they don't, like, wh what are they getting right? And where sort of are they going off the rails <laughs> and yeah. not succeeding? Yeah, there's all sorts of, of different metrics and, you know, things that I can discuss. But the, the one that I hold dear to my heart, 
It also has to do if, you know, my personal mission is, you know, so I can go back to my initial experience at Continental Organics. And the issue was, and it's a terrible joke I make, is Monday through Thursday, or let's say, yeah, Monday through Thursday, where we grow all the food and we harvest it Monday through Thursday. And then on Friday, we compost all of what we harvested all week long. And so that that's a common theme I've wow. seen is, is the idea that if you grow it, they will come is not a reality. Unfortunately, you need to sell your food and then grow it and set up your distribution network. So if I had any like really just one piece of advice for anyone looking to get into this is know your market, know where your food's going because we're working with a perishable. And, uh, you know, an old boss of mine came in and he said, this place looks beautiful. Look at all the crops growing, everything. This is amazing. And everything was ready to harvest at the same time in like an NFT greenhouse. So that's a, that wasn't necessarily a good thing because then we didn't have the hands to harvest it all and it, and we didn't have anywhere for it to go. So it ended up, I have a picture of a, a past friend of mine up to his neck in uh bib head lettuce, just oh. that was in the compost bin. So, oh. you know, you have to really, you know, the art of growing is one aspect of this, but distribution is a really big piece of the equation as well. Yes, it's reminding the conversation I had with um, Eddie Badrina. He's Eden Green about this idea of product sure. market fit. And, you know, he comes from a marketing background. So he thinks about that from day one. And I think when he started working with the team there, it was that's where his mind works right away. And I think a lot of the people who get into it, you know, for some of the reasons you've talked about, they have a passion for, yeah. you know, fresh produce. And, and then you need to have the business skills as well <laughs> and understanding yeah. marketing as well and all the different pieces that are, that make up a successful business. And I think a lot of people that are getting started don't think about that. But I think, I don't know if you could speak to this, but do you feel like now there is more of an awareness that all the pieces need to, need to be in place? Because I think what we saw with COVID is, is in fact examples of just how unstable this supply chain was, right? And, and you could have, you know, the, the stories of these potatoes being buried and like yeah. megaton, you know, whatever the, the measurement yeah. was, but, and, and this is all over the world. So th it highlights the, you know, how, not mature, unstable, whatever word you want to use, the supply chain was because if what good's having all this produce that we're growing and not able to get it into the hands and mouths of the people that, that need it and want it. Yeah. And it, it was unfortunate. You know, I was still at Hort Americas when COVID originally hit. And, uh, you know, I unfortunately watched some of the made small to medium vertical farms that I was working with. They didn't survive because they a hundred percent of their business, let's say they're focused on microgreens was restaurants. But you know, what's funny about it is I also on the flip side saw some of the most amazing ingenuity by a lot of these growers. And I saw people prosper that you might not expect because they pivoted. And I think that's such an important thing to remember when growing and when owning any company, or if you have the entrepreneurial spirit, you have to be ready to pivot at a, the flip of a coin. And, you know, what they did is they, okay, well, restaurants are closed, but people are still eating and people still want to get these things and maybe they're cooking more. So now all of a sudden they, they go from more of a restaurant way of doing things, a restaurant distribution to all of a sudden they're residential and they're delivering their own local boxes. And I've seen some really great success stories through this just you know, I know Fresh Impact Farms in Washington, D.C., they seem to be doing great now, you know, and, and uh, Ryan was able to take this business and uh, and pivot it accordingly and make it work. And I think that if you if when tough times times come with COVID and you just expect to be 
you know, I'm just going to keep doing the same thing and hope that it gets better, then, you know, not to be harsh, but maybe entrepreneurial, you know, roles is not, maybe you shouldn't do that or you should change and be more ready for that, that pivot. So, you know, it's, yes, it's been really tough on our industry, but the whole thing with COVID is it's also shed a really nice spotlight on vertical farming as well, where now people are maybe a bit more concerned about food security or locality with ingredients or distribution. And now, you know, I think that it's also kind of been the spark for the industry, which is exciting to see. Yeah, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a yeah. different result, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, and, it's, 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 and as an entrepreneur myself, I can relate to this idea of really figuring out, like, is, am I going to survive? What do I need to change? Or what preconceived notions do I have about what I used to do that are completely out of the window? New industries have been created, new ways of doing business, people pivoting into something that ended up being long-term or just something that they had to do short-term just to survive. And I think it really kicks in this drive, a little bit of the survival of the fittest, but also just thinking like, I don't want to be out of business and I need to try something different and being open yeah. to trying things that may or may not work. And I think that speaks to, you know, that entrepreneurial mindset of just, you know, the, the Wayne Gretzky analogy, uh, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So. Yep. Yep. I have it on my wall over there, okay. actually. It's a Michael Scott quote okay. by Wayne Gretzky from The Office. So it's a inside joke. But yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I love that quote. And uh, yeah, it's very true. Can you talk a little bit about the work you you did with the Farm Tech Society? I'm curious, I haven't heard about the that organization and I'm wondering if there's anything you learned about just bigger picture, how the industry works or or insights from there? Sure. Yeah. So the Farm Tech Society is really trying to bridge together a lot of, you know, just vertical farming in the industry. They're in the European market and they're focused on the U.S. as well. But they've, you know, they're really trying to just define these systems in place, you know, catalog things accordingly, organize the industry. Because, you know, right now there's a lot of moving pieces. And, you know, I think the goal is to have a central hub. You know, to be able to rely on things from, you know, certain certifications to HR, to connections, to products, to all of these moving pieces, you know, it's so scattered, unfortunately, but it's because the industry is in such infancy right now. Uh, so, you know, the big goal being that we can kind of create this hub with a lot of different resources that will, you know, help vertical farms and the like prosper. And you're still with that organization. You're still consulting with them, advising? Yeah, I there's a another the Center of Excellence for Indoor Ag is another one in uh it's in Philadelphia and mm -hmm. uh you know it's a way to learn right now and give back is just these advisory roles as you know they they need any information and uh you know it's it's fun it's a fun industry to just kind of explore solutions collectively so I, I really enjoy the work I'm doing with the advisory roles. Do you think is there there's probably a whole slew of organizations associations yeah. that are looking to improve like you know for the betterment of ag tech and the other thing that's interesting is all the, the terminology because there's controlled ag there's indoor ag there's ag tech there's vertical farming yeah <laughs> and i'm wondering mm -hmm. in your role as advisor if you come across some of these interesting ways of like people trying to pigeonhole what it is that you're working on and if there's any confusion sometimes yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, terminology can be tricky because everyone has their own language. And I've been corrected with things like 
don't call it deep water culture or don't call it NFT or don't call it this. And I've given up personally. I think you understand what I'm saying. And that's the purpose of words. If you understand what I'm saying, and obviously there will be refinement over time and that's important. You know, I've separated, okay, vertical farm, vertical stacked indoors for the most part, indoor farm, non-vertical, you know, single plane greenhouse is a greenhouse, you know, and, and I think words can be dangerous because they can overcomplicate, but at the same time, we need to pay attention. So we're not watering ourselves down, you know, yeah, and, and, yeah. and not becoming clear. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. What's NFT? A nutrient film technique. Okay. So it's like the crop King or American hydroponic long trays. And there's a, a very thin little hose at the end that dribbles in water. And then a deep water culture is floating rafts and imagine like an Olympic sized pool mm -hmm. and you have these styrofoam floating rafts. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the bulk of my experience was with those two systems, but you know, there's all sorts of systems out there. Aeroponic. Yeah. And aeroponic just being that fine mist. Yes, and, uh, I like aeroponics. I'm always scared if like the security measures and maybe they've improved that. But if your system shuts down for, you know, an allotment of time, it's kind of like you have the most security with deep water culture and then you have less security with NFT and then you have even less security with aeroponics. So I've always joked that. Well, maybe in an environment like space where, hey, if the power goes out, you're in way bigger trouble than your plants. So yeah. aeroponics could be, you know, really good. You know, it would and it, it consumes the less amount of the least amount of water yeah. as well. So there's all these pros and cons to every system out there. Some have more cons than other, but <laughs> what well, seems to be a, pa a specific niche that's attracted your attention because you have the the site you've created called PonicJobs.com, mm -hmm. right? So I'm wondering. Can we go down a little bit of a, a panic rabbit hole, if you will, <laughs> sure. and, and describe like, you know, some of the, the benefits and, and all the different systems? Because people just initially think of hydroponic and aeroponic, but I'm wondering if there's others that people may not be as aware of. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just quickly panic jobs. It's a free recruitment. I just, I've put it out there. I'm working on, you know, transforming it to grower recruit dot com and maybe adding other industries into it. But for now, it's Ponic Jobs. And that was really created because of my challenges to get into the space. I mean, to even get that before they called me at Continental Organics, I was hanging around their lobby. I filled out a couple resumes. I followed up, followed up, followed up and gave up, you know, and it was one of those where I never want to don't ever quit. Don't ever, you know, give up. But at this point, I was ready to give up. So I wanted to, when I was looking for jobs in controlled ag, I couldn't find any type of board. So I was like, Hey, well, if you can't find it, create it. And that, that's really where, where that came. And, you know, you can list your resume and, and, uh, you know, there's active jobs on there. And I invite anyone to list any positions they have just to get that much more exposure for free on there for the time being to go through hydroponics. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's the three systems that I know that we talked about, uh, NFT, deep water culture, vertical farming, which can integrate, you know, different ways of each of those systems in vertical farming. You know, there's aquaponics, which I spoke about before, which is using fishery and using a lot of the fish waste mm. to be the nutrient base for what you're growing. It's, it's probably the biggest challenge. It's the hardest, I think, out of a lot of these different ponics, let's call them. It's challenging to grow fish and plants. You need, it's perfecting two different systems. All yeah, it seems like pages. a lot of moving parts there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, so 
I like aquaponics. I fell in love with it because of the idea of it and the closed loop, but it's tough one. Very, very tough, you know, unless you're growing microgreens and really not focused as much on the fish and it's the fish are just about fuel. I've seen that being done in New York City successfully, but that's a challenge. And then uh, the other types? Let's see. Yeah, I mean, aeroponics, aquaponics, hydroponics, you know, that... You know, I know there's all these different systems as well. You have, you know, zip grow towers, you have tower mm. gardens, and a lot of them, like technically, a, you know, when you look at a, uh, a lot of these are just kind of the NFT technology, just okay. retrofitted in, you know, it's that nutrient film. So it's a light film of water, more or less. So, you know, it, it seems complicated, but it's not once you can break it down and, and see that kind of there's these baseline systems, maybe you know, Dutch bucket system for more of the vine crops that, you know, you can actually, you know, use a perlite or a cocoa base, you know, mm. and then you, you really have the other systems I discussed and they're kind of tear down from there into to different ways of growing. Yeah, it's fascinating. And and I think as with every other industry, and you you probably see this in the nature of the jobs at some point that get posted, they'll they'll start to look for specifics. <laughs> you know, we need someone who has a specialty in aeroponics, or I'd never even heard the term Dutch bucket before. So that's yeah, always learning something new on the show. Yeah, and and you know, it's a lot of the postings I see on the website, unfortunately, the talent's not there yet. So the industry, if you have like a a very experienced hydroponic grower, they're heavily sought after, you know, and I know certain growers can fetch, you know, 200, $250,000 salary for, you know, really running large facilities and the talent's so spotty right now that that's what I think the industry also needs so badly is training and development of this talent because there's a high demand for it is the bottom line. There's a high demand for experienced growers, but you know, I've listened to your other podcasts, Harry, and everyone touches on the the retiring yeah. farmers. And uh, you know, it's it's a real thing. So, you know, I'm excited to see how we can train up and educate and refine out the uh the future of master growers. Yeah, it's interesting because it even not even just in vertical farming, because I hear you know, one of the jobs that's high in demand is data scientists, you know, mm-hmm. so, and this is related to some of what some of the bigger companies are doing in the vertical farming space, but also bigger picture, other industries. And I think there's, you know, when you think about careers that kids in school aspire to, or they yeah. want to go, it's no longer, it's not as easy as the astronaut and the fireman and the policeman anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't think, and I think to your point, there's some value in educating, you know, kids that you know when they're young and 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 in and school that there's a whole wealth of you know range of possibilities available in terms of what you can do and in line what you did in terms of following your passion like you like food and so that sort of started you down the the chef path but you know nurturing that interest in kids at an early age and by opening them up to like what is possible you can follow your passion you can do something related to having that hands-on connection with with your food and uh, i think the more of that we have i think the better yeah. And I, I completely agree. I'm happy you bring up like the younger education. You know, I, I didn't really have any knowledge of this until later in life. And, uh, you know, I see a lot of, uh, really great organizations are now really trying to get kids interested in, in controlled ag or growing in urban environments now, which is really special. And when I was at Bright Farms, I, 
my wife was, uh, she was teaching a classroom and, uh, and she needed to bring in a guest speaker. It's kindergarten class. And, uh, she said, why don't you come in and talk about hydroponics? You know, it, and it was a lot of fun because the kids were, I just remember being like with hydroponics, you know, and, and this is gosh, six years ago or so now. So I come into the classroom in a suit that doesn't fit. And I got these (laughs) big, big, uh, you know, poster boards of images that I, I took from, uh, bright farms. And, you know, I, I said, Oh, you can grow anywhere with hydroponics in there anywhere. And then they just start. In Antarctica, on the moon, and like just getting so, oh man, you can grow food anywhere. And, you know, kids are so excitable and they they were, you know, and they did a, we did a little project where, you know, cut a t-shirt and you put some grass seed on it and you you watered it and they see, oh wow, all it needed was the water and the, so, you know, it's important. It really is to, to get them when they're young, get them interested because that's how we're going to, you know create the next uh, working professionals in this industry. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's so funny because when you think about it, you hear the stories of kids who, like, there could very well have been someone in that classroom who just, like, remembers that as a pivotal moment to say, like, whoa, just, like, lights the spark and says, Absolutely. I want this, this, I find this fascinating. I'm going to, like, you know, their natural curiosity and sometimes feeding that curiosity at that right moment when they're, like, fertile minds are just open to possibilities, I think is really important. So that's, I'm sure you had an impact that they, <laughs> I hope, <laughs> I hope at least, you know, maybe one kid will, you know, yeah. look at it later on and it, you know, at the, at the least it was fun. And, yeah. uh, you know, we just got to keep doing things like that, yeah, yeah. setting up yeah. these classroom systems and whatnot. So along the lines of educating people to the topic of, of uh, vertical farming, how did you get connected with the folks at uh, Crop Talk? And were you listening to podcasts already? Were you active listener? Like, what's the story behind there? Yeah, so Charlie was actually a customer of mine at Hort Americas. Okay. So, you know, we were selling a system, 30 megahertz sensors. So it, it was a, a way that you could, you know, really get microclimate readings, airflow, humidity, all these different metrics via these tiny sensors. And, and he was starting to do some consulting for CropWalk, which is a, a great company. I highly recommend if you're looking for integrated pest management consulting. And he was starting to do some you know, work and he wanted to be able to do these readings remotely. And so yeah, we worked on that. We looked at these things, uh, grow racks that he was looking at that are just, you know, mini vertical farm units, you know, on like a grow cart. And, uh, we hit it off, you know, it's just sometimes I, when working with anyone in sales, you know, I think it's really about trust and fostering a relationship. And if you can develop a friend out of it, you know, power to you. So we continue to talk and, you know, one day he called me and was like, you know, I was thinking, Kyle, like you're, you know, you know a lot about this industry. I want to expand out this segment, like, and I, let's do it. And we immediately, you know, started rocking and rolling and, uh, you know, we didn't have my segment quite lined up. My first guest was a hemp grower, the hemp mine and really knowledgeable, but I didn't necessarily have the same education on everything he was talking about. So we, Hey, let's focus on what you're good at and what you know. And, you know, Kyle talks ag tech. It feels like such an ego based name, you know, now that I am like, okay, it was just because it was like, it was like talk crops and Charlie talks crops and then Kyle yeah. talks crops. And then it was Kyle talks ag tech. And I almost wish I chose a name more like vertical farming podcast <laughs> like yourself. But uh, yeah, yeah, and it just, 
I was able to go after a lot of these people I've worked with at Hort Americas, you know, selling them substrates, fertilizers, lighting, uh, different tools, all these different tools. I was able to say, hey, I'm doing this podcast. You know, I know what you're doing. It's really cool. Why don't you come on? And, you know, it progressed from there. And once COVID hit, I was doing like two a week, just shooting them out, you know, as a way to just make people keep their sanity, keep myself busy during a slow time. Yeah. And it, it's been a lot of fun, you know, and what's cool. And I think you can probably say you've experienced this is you start to see these, um, these connections with like, mm-hmm. Oh wow. Everyone seems to touch on this fact. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone talks about, Hey, you need to get hands-on experience before you do this or, you know, Hey, make sure to network within or educate yourself with all, you know, it's all these different things you start to see connections with when I was trying to speak to CEA leaders. And so for me, it was so helpful to just see all these different connections of, you know, at the end of the day, what's the bullet points, what's most important to succeeding in such a young industry. Yeah. And it's, and you're, you're learning along the way as well, because, you know, they all come in with their different perspectives, their different history and their different takes on the industry. And, you know, I've, I've said this a couple of times on the show. It's almost, I'm learning along with the listener as well. So I have this natural curiosity, natural interest in the topic and bringing on a wide range of voices is really important for me and and people that are covering it from different angles, because I always say you could have five people doing the same topic. Let's five people covering vertical farming, five different hosts after about, you know, three months, six months, you'll have five different shows (laughs) because it's just like everyone is just their own personal lived experiences and their specific interests will take them down different rabbit holes. And so you end up, and which I think is all great too. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we, I know some of the other hosts have done kind of these crop debates where it's like two separate opinions and, uh, and bringing them together. You know, one was about bees, I believe by Robert and he did one about bees and, and, you know, are, is bee farming good for the environment or bad? And you kind of bring, and he did that well. And I, I was like, man, I think about doing that with vertical farming, but some of the opinions are so strong. I'm like, I don't know if I'll be able to be a good mediator with, you know, like it's, there's a lot of passion in the industry and, and it's true. You get kind of two sides a lot of times and people are impassioned in this space, which is, uh, I think it makes it a lot more fun is the uh, level of passion here. What's interesting about having this discussion with you, because this is the first time I'm having someone who's not directly like a founder or a CEO of a a vertical farming company, but with all the different roles you've had in the industry, I was really excited to have this conversation. But the other thing is, and the listener may not be aware of, but I started this show because I I own a podcast production company called Fullcast, and we produce shows for clients. But I also am the host of a another show called Podcast Junkies that I started in 2014. It's a bit meta. It's a podcast where I interview other podcasters. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll have to come on that one after yeah, yeah. this. <laughs> so that's the, that's the Seinfeld, the, the, the Kramer coffee table book about coffee tables. You know, yeah, I, I, I yeah. always use that example. But it's been fascinating because... I always am interested in the in the topic of podcasting. So now it's like all these like the Venn diagram of the worlds converging on this episode yeah. is is really interesting. So I'm curious is was podcasting hosting new to you and and what have you learned and how have you improved oh, as a host? 
That's such a great question because I've learned a lot. I think I talked too much originally, you know, I can admit it, you know, I can be uh, vulnerable enough to say, hey, you know, I think I talked too much when I started and I've got better at letting the host really take the reins and not needing to insert my knowledge or what I know or this or that. And hey, this is, you know, I guess if I was going to give any advice to someone starting a podcast is remember who who your podcast is about. And it's not about you. It's about your guests. And Mm. it's about shedding the spotlight on that guest and, you know, really making it all about them, you know, and obviously you want to have a conversation and you want to, you know, say, Hey, you know, I experienced something similar, you know, the back and forth is, is very important to, you know, a natural podcast episode, but you got to let them speak. You know, I, I don't think challenging anyone necessarily making them uncomfortable. I mean, that's not what it's about. You know, you can talk about opinions with specific guests and each of these different, you know, areas, but you shouldn't necessarily like make someone look bad or something like that. So, and obviously all the, the production issues, the echoes, the the knowing, you know, not to have the cat scratching at the door or the wife vacuuming or anything like that, you know, just uh, keep it quiet. What's funny is uh, because of COVID, it's been the great equalizer. And some of the best conversations I've had recently on the show have been with CEOs and founders who, you know, for lack of a better, you know, situation, everyone's at home. Like, and so it's, yeah. it's, it's just shows that we're all human and, you know, you can tell that some of these folks are like in their kitchen or in their kid's bedroom or something like and looking for a quiet environment and and it humanizes everyone and i think especially when you know people think if you're talking to like the ceo of a you know multi-billion dollar company like that, that they think differently but i think they experience some of the same you know challenges um, that yeah. we all do and, and i think what what's been reassuring is they all have their heart in the right place of wanting to see this industry grow, get more visibility. And, you know, there's, there's no shortage of money coming into the industry as we've all seen as well. So I think it's, it's, I feel like it's that rising tide lifts all boats metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even the CEOs have the dog that barks in the background or the kid that runs into the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's been things you've learned as a result of having these discussions because you start to bring in these different viewpoints and you know what are you learning about the industry that has you excited yeah you know it's you definitely learn how young it is but how much potential it has and you know it's fun to have on grounded people and it's fun to have on dreamers and i think there's a like i'm reminded often with guests to don't limit anything you know in the 60s the cell phone that we have nowadays would have been outrageous. Not that's just oh, yeah. stop thinking like that, you yeah, know, yeah. or, you know, you can even say the eighties, you know, 40 years ago, 1981, you know, that was, uh, nobody would have, you're out of your mind with how things are done. So you can't, if you're going to predict the future, it shouldn't be a limited prediction. And that's something I'm reminded of when I speak to a younger audience and also, you know, I think that one of the biggest lessons is we have to continually try to work together in this industry and not silo ourselves off. It's a constant theme that I hear from lots of guests on how, you know, especially in the the North American market, we're siloing ourselves and potentially making the same mistakes. Of course, there's under, you know, you have to understand why that's being done. And there's, you know, you're protecting your assets and all of this. But, you know, it's, it's still we need to communicate as best we can. I know 
in the Netherlands. The Dutch are, are much better at critiquing and, uh, <laughs> and communicating about, you know, improving the overall system. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a lot we can learn from how other established markets, at least from a growing side, are doing it. Have you been able prior or were you able prior to the, the pandemic to make it to some of these uh, conferences and uh, events? I tried so hard to get to Green Tech, the big one overseas. And I unfortunately, I was potentially going to go the year that everything happened. But yeah, it uh, fortunately didn't happen. I, I've, I have, I wish I could show you, I have this box of tags from all the conferences that I've gone to. I loved conferences, you know, Indoor AgCon, Cultivate, Mance, you know, from the old fashioned to the new age, you know, these Brooklyn Ag Tech summits. I really mm-hmm. tried to, you know, attend, you know, as many as I could, a couple of months if I could, you know, before COVID. So it's, it's really been a transition. I've done a, I did a trade show this week a trade show. I'm putting quotes in the air and it's different, you know, to do these big conferences and now it's a lister and maybe you have a video. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, the same. <laughs> it's not the same. I don't think yeah. it's as beneficial, but I think we're continually as an industry going to find ways to keep the ball rolling, to keep the communication up, the networking moving. I'm waiting for the VR glasses that oh, yeah. will let me go <laughs> into a virtual trade show where I actually can virtually see other people. But I think uh, I think we're a little bit ways off from that one. It's so funny because you mentioned that I've been, one thing I do miss is playing poker with my buddies and especially mm-hmm. the ones uh, back in New York. And I've been looking into the Oculus VR goggles yeah. and, po- and the, the company uh, Poker Stars actually has a, a virtual reality game. Oh, that's cool. So that would be interesting. And I, I, all these industries are going to have, you know, I think they're, They've just mentioned that the 360 degree treadmill, virtual treadmill, is, a, is oh, wow. now functioning. So you have the you have the goggles on, and you could move in 360 degrees. Oh, and so, I'm a big fan. I, I have like the PSVR, which is in okay. a box right now. I haven't had the time to uh, hook it all up, and it's like a roller coaster ride. I have to take a motion sickness pill before I get in that thing. Yeah, but it, you know, I think that that can the whole VR experience could potentially, I mean, it's going to affect, in my opinion, all industries, especially through something like this in good time. But I think from, you know, vertical farming, even it would be great to put on a headset and go in the treadmill and walk through someone's greenhouse when they're doing the same thing, Uh, you know, however, but you know, I think a little bit of ways away, but I would love to be able to find some way to do something a bit more, you know, with a little bit more virtual substance. (laughs) Immersive experiences. Yeah, there you uh, go. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about the work you're doing or that Westrock is doing for those that may not be aware what the company is and, and what they specialize in. Sure. So, you know, Westrock is especially focused right now on sustainable packaging solutions. And we're really trying to develop unique, creative, empowering solutions for every aspect of every industry. My particular division is MPS horticulture. And, you know, we sell a lot of the labels and tags and things like that to all the big floriculture growers. And what I'm excited to start to uncover is solutions for produce growers. You know, as I said early on, like when I spoke and told the friends and connections I had where I'm going, they said, Oh, you got to get us a a solution to this plastic clamshell. And it's, 
it's, you know, everyone in our industry or a good percentage are so focused on sustainability and care for the world and really trying to do the right thing. And then we're loading our leafy greens or our tomatoes into these plastic tubs. So if we can find a more recyclable, you know, system, something that is, you know, biodegradable within 18 months or breaks down much easier, you know, it's such a win. So, you know, I joined Westrock to really gain that experience and hopefully be able to assist in developing these type of solutions because, you know, a grower might, it might cost them a nickel to grow a head of lettuce, but their clamshell might cost 25 cents. Mm. So, big portion of what they're paying goes into the packaging. And so ideally we want that to be a, a really sustainable, you know, long-term mindset of, of the, the health of the industry and the planet and everything. So, you know, it, I, I'm really proud to be a part of Westrock. They are extremely socially conscious and really focused. If, if I had a word for their attitude towards the future, it's sustainability. They're looking for, you know, really as many alternatives to plastic in every industry you can imagine as possible and finding these really, you know, more caring approaches. So it's great. Yeah, I think that's what was interesting for me as I was learning more about this industry is that the dichotomy between like people who obviously care about the the importance of the environment and and having this connection mm-hmm. with the food and local access to food and which then sort of flies in the face of like what by virtue of doing that and getting all this food to people you know that need it you are contributing <laughs> to the problem of more plastic in the environment and it's something that i've always thought about and yeah. so so great to see westrock having this as a focus because it feels like if you can crack that nut and and come up with some options and they may not be like you know help helpful from a price perspective early on but as with all technologies yeah. and all things like the first versions are, are not the ones where we're going to end up as at. But I think, you know, having some of these bigger farms look at that as something that's important for them is going to, I think is going to be key. Yeah. And, and, you know, really when I look at my goal of developing out these maybe more, you know, non-plastic clamshells or, you know, all these styrofoam replacements, you know, for mushrooms or whatever it is, you know, the new market, the new consumer that's really starting to gain the buying power, the millennial audience, they're very focused on yeah. this you know, responsible purchasing power that they have. And they, mm-hmm. they, they don't want to buy the plastic tub. They don't want yeah. to have to throw that into a landfill. They want to. And I know when I shop, I'm willing to, to pay a little bit more. And so, you know, I think that, yeah, maybe initially these things might not be quite as affordable of the, as the established market, but at the end of the day, you know, they're going to set you apart from, your competition as someone that's more socially aware, you know, planet conscious, and they're going to be a solution that, you know, you can feel good about at the end of the day. And, uh, and I think that comes from growers, as you said, too, not only is it the end user is going to feel good, the grower is going to feel better about, you know, what their inputs and what they're putting out into the marketplace. Yeah, totally agree. A couple of questions as we wrap up, what's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently or ask recently? Gosh, oh man, a tough question I had to ask myself. You know, I would say, how much do I miss hands-on? You know, I sometimes I miss hands-on. The tough Mm. question is, oh, I'm behind a computer all day. You know, 
that's a tough question. Sometimes I ask myself, if like, man, I'm behind a computer. Is this where I'm supposed to be? But at the end of the day, you know, you reflect back and you say, well, you know, I'm still, I'm assisting the people and I'm helping the industry and I'm, I'm doing a lot from this terminal. Uh, and, and I can feel good about that at the end of the day. So, you know, the chef in me with the knife or the farmer, you know, in the greenhouse sometimes misses that. And that's the, the tough question of like, man, should I be doing that? Should I be more hands-on? You know, but, but I think at the end of the day, I'm saying, Hey, I'm helping those people. I'm assisting the industry. I'm developing really great content. And, uh, you know, I feel good about that at the end of the day. So that's my little, uh, you know, back and forth. I play for myself. I need to get a greenhouse in my backyard someday to get that out of the system. (laughs) Well, I'll give a shout out and a plug to our episode sponsor series, Greenhouse Solutions. They're creating, you know, personal, they've got the commercial size, but they're also creating smaller versions that people can just place in their own backyards. And they're more of a hybrid model that are a little bit more advanced than a standard greenhouse. So actually, I just finished an interview with Mark Plinky, the the founder, and he talks about the differences and then what they're doing. So I'll I'll make sure, I'll, I'll let you know when that episode goes live as well. I've met with the group at uh, trade shows in the past. There, okay. it's, it's great, great group, great yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's so interesting. This hands-on, and I mean, I I had always had dreams of being a chef as well. I never yeah. pursued it, and so when you told me you had gone to CIA, I was like, oh man, that's. And even now, I'm like, I remember looking last year. I'm like, how old is too old to study to be a chef? <laughs> and, that's never too old. That's <laughs> that's my attitude. But if you go to that yeah. school, be ready for a handful of Gordon Ramsay's. I'll say that yeah, much. I'm sure. They're, uh, <laughs> it's intense. <laughs> so that's, but I, I think I get my feel by watching Chef's Table on Netflix. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then my wife's not a foodie, which everyone's like, I, I oh. can't believe that, but she's, and I'm making her slowly into a foodie, okay. you know, incorporating ingredients I've yeah. improved, but she'll watch those shows with me and we have a lot of fun. So yeah. I'm at least happy about that. And, and then it's like a challenge. Like, can I make something exotic that she'll enjoy? So I can always refine the tools that way. I'm always looking for opportunities for the listener to get to know their the, the guests a little bit more. So is there a little known fact about you that most people don't know about? I would say I probably talk too much about my culinary background. So, <laughs> Gosh, I'm originally from New York. It's all boring stuff. I'm probably yeah. too transparent is my issue, Harry, <laughs> as I tell everyone my life story when I meet them. That's good. Yeah, it's good and it's bad. Some people like it more than others. <laughs> What's interesting, Kyle, is I think that that's how people relate and they find a, a point of reference which which to connect with you. And I think that's what I've been trying to do on the show is just like let people know there's different ways that people can make their way into the vertical farming industry. And I love to hear your story because I've heard you know, a lot of really good ones. And I think it was Andrew Carter, and hopefully I've got it right, yeah. who told me mm-hmm. the story of- Smallhold. The, yeah, Smallhold. Mm-hmm. Was he the one who had the cello and uh, he played it and it was for a wedding and they asked him if he could play Daft Punk on the cello. And he oh, he's, cool. he's like, that's that's <laughs> silly, I'm not gonna do that. And the friend's like, of course you're gonna do it. Just give him a, a ridiculous price. and. He quoted them like $3,000 or something like that. And the people said yes. And, oh, man. <laughs> and so he got the money. And with that, he bought his first container farm. And so that, that like. That's I, funny. And I'll have to look into that and, and follow up if I've got the right person. But I've had the interviews start to blur <laughs> with each other. Oh, yeah. But it, it, it's yeah. just just one of those examples of just like, there's no right way. 
to find your way into this industry. So I'm glad I was able to hear your story and share that as well. Yeah. And if you want to get in the industry, I mean, I'd say, you know, be prepared to get your hands dirty and maybe do yeah. some unfun work for a little while. And yeah. it, you got to make it fun. You know, you, mm-hmm. you learn and, but I know, I, you know, these long NFT trays, scrubbing them with bleach and it wasn't fun, Yeah. but you know, I did it with a smile and, you know, I slowly worked my way yeah. up to managing that greenhouse. And, That's you know, great. I think if you show dedication and you really just hold true, it'll come and you just got to be patient as well. But yeah, I invite anyone to give it a shot and come into the industry. We need you. So there's a couple different projects you're working on that we mentioned. So as we wrap up, what's the best way for folks to, to stay engaged with you if they want to follow up or just follow what you're sure. doing? I connect with me on LinkedIn, I think okay. is the number one way, because then we can really go down whatever rabbit hole you want, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, Ponic Jobs, a grower recruit, or you want to talk about packaging solutions via Westrock, or, you know, advisory roles, or heck, you just want some advice. I talk too much. And I like talking to people. <laughs> I love talking about this industry. And it's really I pay it forward mentality. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I believe the the backslash is Barnett KY, but just search Kyle Barnett. Yeah, and, we'll have uh, those. Yeah, we've got the, I've got the link and we'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. Yeah. All the links you provided as well. And for the benefit of the listener, like that's exactly how you and I connected and we just started yeah. a conversation. And, you know, I, I've had some really great intros coming from LinkedIn. It's, it's a platform that I'm really active in on a daily basis. So, yeah. yeah. And so I, I'll, we'll make sure that people can reach you that way. Yeah. Now I'm happy we connected. I saw your podcast. I was like, this guy's doing so much better than me. What the heck? I got to connect with him now. (laughs) Well, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks again for taking the time to come on. All right. All right. Thanks so much, Harry. Thanks again to Kyle for providing such a lively discussion. It's a little different because normally we have a founder or a CEO on the show. And Kyle has a wide range of interests, and I think that's what made the conversation all that much more interesting and engaging. So I really appreciate him sharing his story and giving us some new insights into the world of vertical farming. Special thanks to our episode sponsor, Series Greenhouse Solutions. Series is creating sustainable growing environments by combining smart design, innovative technology, and dynamic partnerships. Learn more at seriesgs.com. That's C-E-R-E-S gs.com. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read them out on future episodes. Until we meet again next week, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.